0: All right, turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Uh, While you're turning there, next week is our kick off for Pray and Go, so we're going to have a pizza luncheon afterwards. Mark your calendar to stay for that. We won't keep you super long, but we're going to kind of roll out the details of the team that's been um, kind of putting this together of how it's going to work and our strategy and kind of our vision uh, for Pray and Go. So it'll be, um, it'll be a good time to kick it off. I'm excited about uh, the Pray and Go and us getting out into the community, praying for people, looking for opportunities to share. And the hangers will be in uh, tomorrow, so that's exciting. And um, I'm looking forward to next Sunday spending some time with you guys and, uh, t- and talking about this a little bit and also for what the Lord is going to do through us um, as we go out um, into our community. Um, I'm going to begin wrapping up the vision for Liberty over the next couple weeks. And I thought we would review a little bit with you all To see if you guys remember what the three key words are. Do you know? What's the first one? Okay, okay, good. What's the next one? What's the third one? Okay. Belong what? This is like kind of like Bible quizzing. You got to have a word perfect, okay? Oh, there's there's no points otherwise. Belong. I have not heard the right phrase yet. Belong to the body of Christ. Body of Christ. Twenty points, Sean McCartney. <clears throat> All right, flourish. Flourish. All right, any of you who've even had slightly the thought across your mind that I've been on this topic for too long (laughs) just need to, like, kind of slap your own little hand there because apparently the message still hasn't gotten through, okay? Flourish. No no one even wants to... Now I've made you nervous. You guys don't even want to guess. Flourish. (laughs) Flourish. as disciples <clears throat> and then go okay 20 points Laura that's right go and service and mission okay good job belong flourish go that is the vision so look at Isaiah 44 as we begin to wrap up the vision starting in verse 9 All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak. And lets it grow strong among the, forest, the trees of the forest. He plants the cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half, he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes, a deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes today of how real you are, that you are the one true God. I pray, Lord, that you would impact us with your truth with the very word of God. We thank you, God, that your word is true and that you are true, though man be a liar. Let us receive your word today in the fullness of truth. Amen. So Isaiah here is basically mocking idols and idol worshipers and idol makers. And he's basically saying, you know, you you chop down the tree and then you, you burn, you burn it, you burn part of the wood and then you use the other part to make an idol. And he's like, think of the kind of stupidity of that and the irony of that. The very thing that you're worshiping, you just cut down and burn the other half. And I want us to review a little bit about belong today and remind us of whose we are and who we really belong to because we belong to a real God who has revealed himself to us. So I'm going to make basically a couple points today. Uh, And my overall thing is belong to the real God. My first point is this. God speaks. And I want you to think about that for a second, because I think we've all heard that many, many, many times. But I want you to think about really what that means when it comes to other religions or even other cults of Christianity. Because the other so called gods, they're fake. There's one real God, and the other gods are fake. But here's the thing you know, you chop down the tree, and you burn half of it to make your food, but then you fashion the other half into an idol. I mean, the tree, it couldn't speak beforehand, and it still can't speak after it's been fashioned into something. So those fake gods listen to this, they can't speak. Like they can't speak. And we have a God who speaks, who has spoken and continues to speak. I mean, are you guys hearing me? That we have a God who speaks. And this is a very important point for all of us to clearly understand because, really, in full reality, no other religion can truly make that claim. I mean, we have God the one true God. And if you have other gods, and those are false gods, and they're fake gods, then by definition, they can't speak. They can't. So all those other idols in the Old Testament, there was no words coming from them. There weren't. No words. We have a God who speaks. And here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to guess at what He says. He speaks clearly look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 This is Paul writing to Timothy. We're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 3. He's instructing him here. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Amen. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, All of that is up to the verse that we hear a whole lot. But I think that backdrop is important because notice what he instructs Timothy from childhood. So Timothy was blessed to grow up in a home where the Old Testament scriptures from his mom and grandma were repeated, talked about, said, probably memorized. He was surrounded in that culture. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And notice what it says. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching. For reproof. For correction. And for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. So I mean... Paul basically made up like his own Greek word. He kind of took two Greek words and put them together, the breathed out. That's what God did with his word. It's an inspired word. All scripture is breathed out. Spirit inspired is the idea there, directly from God for each one of us. His word for us. Now, sometimes I've shared with people before and they're almost like, I mean, practically they're deists because they believe in God and they'll say they believe in God, but when you, like, bring Jesus into the picture, they don't want any of Jesus. But they'll, they'll ascribe to believing in some type of higher power. Usually they'll, they'll say they just believe in one God, and you start, like, pushing them a little bit. You know, is it the God of the Bible? No. Well, what do you know about your God? You know, they don't know. I mean, they're just, they're kind of wishy-washy. I think... I mean, kudos to them. They realize that God is real. Um, but they, here's the thing. They realize if they really know much about this God, it really has implications for them. So if they can keep things kind of vague and a little fuzzy, then they can kind of just float along and be okay. But if things start to become concrete, um, they realize there might be something placed upon them that they have to do. Because if you think about it, um, if, if, if you realize God is real that has implications for everything. Okay? I mean, if you just think about it, um, if God is real, like, what does that mean? Well, it, it's really not that much of a stretch to realize, okay, he, he created the world. Okay? I mean, it's not that much of a stretch, okay, he created you. But then you get into various questions, right? That has implications. I mean, if he's created the world, then you're acknowledging he's all-powerful. I mean, it, it, it's, to me, there's a little bit of irony sometimes when people will say they believe in God and then they're like oh the virgin birth how could you believe in that I'm like if he can create the world then he can kind of do whatever he wants within his little world okay if he can create it you know part in the Red Sea that's really not that big of a deal to him so once once you can get that big concept he created it all whatever he wants to do with his creation he can kind of do it alright right. He can kind of do that because he's God. So it has implications and people don't want to be having anything placed upon them. They want to reject the truth, as the scripture says. But if we can get to that point, there is a God. He created the world. He created you. Guess what? Then we get into questions like, what is my responsibility to God? And maybe that's a question you should, you should ask someone the next time they're kind of being wishy-washy and they, they say they believe in a God, but you start bringing Jesus into the picture and they don't really want to have anything to do with it. That means there's implications. That means there's a truth standard by which they have to account for. But maybe ask them that. Well, what responsibility do you have to this God? You know, did he make the world? Did he create you? Don't you think there's some responsibility you might have to him? And then you get even a little bit further. Like, why did he create you? He didn't have to create you. But he did create you. That's a little thing you can encourage people with if you're sharing with them or talking with them and, and you, you go that route. But my point really overall for this first thing is that God speaks and we're blessed by that. But here's the thing. He doesn't just speak. He speaks truth. He speaks truth. Look at Psalm Chapter 19. Let's start in verse 7. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Now notice a couple things here. The The law of the Lord is perfect. Yours might say blameless. That's fine. But his law is perfect. It's completely true. There is no error. The precepts of the Lord, it says later, are right. I mean, his ways are right. His ways are right. They will always be right. They will never be wrong. And then look, the rules of the Lord are true. Everything he lays out for us is true. Every single thing is true. Then, so what, what is, needs to be our response? Flip over to Psalm 86. I want you to see this. Because if we know God speaks, and we know he speaks truth, then here's really our response. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Like every morning we should wake up, that should be part of our prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. I mean, if the Lord's ways are right, if they're perfect, if they're true, then we should want to know that. So we can follow it. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The Lord, like, teach me your way because I need to know it. I want to know it. Your ways are perfect, true, and righteous, and I want to seek after you. This means we can trust him if he speaks truth. He's not going to lie to us. We can fully trust him. These other religions, these other false teachers from other religions, they got half-baked truths. And you, you know what a half-truth is. It's a lie, all right? You mix a little bit of error with a whole lot of truth, you still get error. God speaks truth, and he only speaks truth. Look at Titus chapter 1. right at the very beginning, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Now, there's a whole lot. That's like a long, nice little run-on sentence. Paul's great at doing that. <clears throat> but notice... In hope of eternal life, that's kind of like the thing that precedes it in verse 2, which God, who never lies, promised. So the focus here is the hope of the eternal life. And he's already at the very beginning telling Titus, and the readers are going to read this, and us by way of extension, like that hope of eternal life, like God doesn't lie. So he's promised that to us, and so you can take comfort in that fact. We've got that eternal life. So we have that hope, all right. Now I don't know about you, but um, as the days go on, you know, all of us are getting a little bit older. And some days we go through different trials, different challenges, different afflictions. And friends, it seems like, and part of it I think is as we're growing in maturity, but also I just think by age, God, it's almost like a constant reminder, and God uses that for us to have the hope of eternal life. Like one day, we're going to be united with the Father and with His Son. And everything that we have been struggling through and fighting through and going through and glorifying God as we do that, like it's, it's all going to be behind us. And we will spend an eternity with the Father, with the Son, and with His Spirit. And that's what Paul is wanting to encourage Titus. And Paul... Uh, is wanting to encourage his readers, and God today is wanting to encourage us with. The hope of eternal life. So he speaks, he speaks truth, and finally he speaks through his Son. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Just a couple books later, Titus Philemon Hebrews. Hebrews. Verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now think about that for a second. We all know he spoke through the son. God speaks, God speaks truth. But I want you to think for a second. About John chapter 1. In the beginning was what? The Word, right? Like the Logos. It was the Word. So God's speaking, He's speaking truth, and the way that He reveals His Son is by using that word Logos. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Powerful verse there, but key there of that word, Word. Okay? God is speaking truth. And then what does he do? He like sends truth to us in physical form. His own son. God in the flesh. God incarnate. And here's what I want to ask you all. I want you to think about this for a second. This one you don't have to respond. But when you think about your life and what you're doing, what is the most important thing for you to do in your life? Now, overall... I mean, the big, the big answer might be like, glorify the Lord, you might say. That's good. One of the catechism questions. But then we say, okay, what does that look like practically? Really, the most important thing for each one of us to do is to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And I believe Steve's internet being down today was from the Lord and geared Steve's exhortation, if you think about it, towards relationship. Right and, and today we have communion. I mean, when we come to the table, that, that's showing that we already have a fellowship. It's, it's showing that we have fellowship with the Lord. We have physical elements there. Baptism is like the introduction publicly to everyone. Hey, I'm part of the family. But coming to the Lord's Supper is saying, I'm still in the family. I'm still part of the family. I'm fellowshipping with the Lord. And that thing, relationship, is so key. It is so key. And it, I think it, it has become such like a cliche saying in Christianity that it can lose some of its emphasis or truth if we're not careful. You know, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It just, like, rolls off the tongue. But, like, we are blessed to be able to commune with the Father and with the Son. I used to think, you know, because sometimes people would kind of mock that, oh, Christianity is a relationship, like... You know, where do you see that in the scriptures? Well, let me just show you for a second, okay? Can I show you all? You want to see that? Look at 1 John. Chapter 1. Verse 1. We're, we got all these verse 1s of chapter 1s today, all right? <clears throat> verse 1 of chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and then catch this part, friends. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's that word, fellowship. You know, koinonia. Fellowship. So you have a fellowship with the Father. Well, I mean, what is that really saying? Like you're communing with the Father. Well, I mean, how do you do that? I mean, the, the clearest, biggest, most precise. I'd say accurate way is child to father. That's the biggest emphasis I would say in the scriptures. That's, our, that's really how we should primarily see our relationship. But friends, I hope if you are parents here, you have a relationship with your kids. But what does that look like? It looks like doing things. It looks like talking with them. It looks like interacting with them. There's a fellowship there. And Paul even says it earlier with believers that you can we, we're, we're giving you this word because we want to have fellowship with you. And, and guess where our fellowship is? It's with the Father and with his Son. And we are blessed to be able to have that communion both with the Father and with the Son. We believe, friends, in three persons. Okay? Three persons. Not two persons. Not one person. Three persons. Do you guys believe in three persons? Okay? Three persons, one God. So we have communion with each person. Now try to wrap your mind around that a little bit. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. But it's a beautiful thing, and it makes sense, because if there's three persons, then we're going to have fellowship with all three of them. This verse emphasizes that we have the fellowship with two of them. Other places, it talks about the Spirit and his direct ministry to us. So he speaks, he speaks truth, he speaks through the Son. The most important thing, though, is is this. Um, It's growing in our relationship with Jesus. Okay? Growing in our relationship. The most important thing, it's not your mortgage, it's not making more money, it's not playing sports, it's not watching sports, it's not watching your kids play sports. It is growing in your relationship with With Jesus, If you don't have that, then all that other stuff is going to be affected in a negative way. That's just the truth. It's growing in your relationship. It's not about reorganizing your finances, volunteering at an organization, getting a better job, getting an advanced degree, trying to get through college, moving up the corporate ladder. No, it is growing in your relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a focus there, then you are ineffective in all the other areas. Family, church, community, all that stuff. And we forget sometimes something so basic as our communion with the Lord and helping it to grow. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is where Paul's focus was. That is what came out of his mouth. Why? Because that was the foundation for Paul. And that's what he nurtured. I mean, how clear does Paul have to be? I knew nothing except Christ among you. A very intelligent, smart man. He was a, a Pharisee at one point. He's got all the, you know, you see his little resume that he rolls out in Philippians, right? I mean, he could have got the, got the job wherever he wanted to apply to. He's focused on Christ. That's not a popular thing back then. guess what, friends? It's not a popular thing today. But he knew Christ, and that's where he focused. That's what we have to do, too. Listen, we are so blessed to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We are truly blessed. We have the truth. God has been gracious to wipe away the deception, to remove the veil, and to let that truth shine into our hearts. And let me just speak to some of you for a second. If you're struggling with your prayer time, you're struggling getting in the Word, look, if you need some accountability, I can give you, I'll give you some accountability. If you need me to shoot you a text or an email or something to see how you're doing, hey, I get it. Accountability is a good thing. We need encouragement. We need some accountability. So if you need that. But at some point, you've you got to decide where your priorities are, right? You've got to decide if you really want to grow or not. And you can have all the good intentions you want and all the the different things you can go through and all the excuses. Um, The Lord put aside, you know, one day to kind of make a point to us. And the idea of of the Sabbath rest, we've kind of abused it a little bit. I mean, the real focus is not the day that we get all the projects done on our house. That's really not the focus. The primary focus is rest. It's refreshment. Even the verse I read last week with Acts 3, right? That times of refreshing may come from working on your house. No. From the Lord. So some of us need a little bit of refreshing. That's not going to come through all the other things I listed. It's going to come from the Lord. And our heart and our focus needs to be bent towards growing our relationship with Jesus. Easy to say for each of us. Challenging to walk out. Just <clears throat> start somewhere, though, my friends. Start somewhere. I would guess if we took a poll, maybe we're not doing that great with prayer. We're not doing that great with the Word. Look, <clears throat> that should just a little bit say to you that the enemy's kind of at work. All right? Because none of you have problems flipping through uh, the Netflix options, okay? The enemy doesn't care about that. He cares if you get into the word or not. Yeah, there's going to be a little little spiritual battle going on there. Maybe a big one. And also, at the end of the day, it just comes down to a little self-discipline. I know that's easy to say. Again, we just got to decide how much of Jesus do we want. We get as much of Him as we want. You want to drink deeply from the cup? The cup is there. Okay, you can have as much of Him as you want. Let's not just be satisfied to sip at the cup. Let's drink deeply from the one who is the living water. Are you all hearing me? Okay. So God is gracious to us in speaking, but he's, he's gracious to speak that truth to us, and he's done that through his Son, revealing himself as the Word became flesh. And it is in him, in him alone, that we have that life. Let's nurture that eternal life that he's given us. Let's nurture that relationship. And grow and let it impact the other areas that God has called us to be a part of. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are truth, that you speak truth, that you reveal your Son to us. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Maybe they've been struggling with getting in the Word, prayer, maybe they've backslidden a little bit. I thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning, that you don't love them any less, that you have an infinite love for your children. And we thank you, God, for the blood of your Son that allows us to come before you justified. And you don't look down at us shamefully or disgustingly, but with grace and mercy, with love, with care, with compassion on your children. Remind us of that, Lord. Not so we take advantage of it, God, but we can deepen our fellowship with you. And I ask, the Lord, you'd forgive us our sins, Lord, the areas where we're clearly falling short and know it, and even the ones that we're blinded to and we're deceived in, that you'd forgive us there as well. I intercede for this church, Father, and ask for you to forgive us our sins corporately and individually, because they are many. And I ask for your grace, Lord, as we continue to grow corporately and individually, Father, that you would continue to conform us to the image of your Son. We want this church to be a beautiful bride of Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for the sanctifying process that, that you are doing through us, through this church. You're making it to be the bride that you want it to be. And we echo what Paul says at the end of Second Corinthians Come, Lord Jesus. We look forward to your return, Jesus. We look forward to you claiming your bride as your own. And Father, I intercede and ask that you would save the souls of each person here, the souls of the families represented here, that each one of them would have a true, trusting faith in you that they would truly know you. And you would do whatever it takes to bring each of them to that point. We thank you, God, that you love us so much and that you offer each person the gift of eternal life. Lord, use us for your glory. We pray. Amen.